We're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. As we work through the book of 1 Samuel. Remember in chapter 8, Israel has gathered and they've told Samuel they don't want God to be their king. They want an, an earthly king like all the other nations. They've rejected God as their king. They seem to have rejected Samuel as well as their prophet. And they want to look like all the other nations, no matter what. In chapter 9, we see the beginnings of this kingship. What we see is really a very interesting story in Scripture, full of lots of details that may or may not seem important at first glance. But this series of unrelated coincidences actually just shows forth the amazing providence of God. Heidelberg number 27 says, Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven and earth and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. We see this loud and clear in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Please remain seated. I'm going to read a lengthy passage, all of chapter 9 and the first 16 verses of chapter 10. I'll have you stand at the end of the reading in honor of God's holy word. Hear this inspired text this evening, 1 Samuel 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Ebiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you, arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. They passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is, an old, he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone. There is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way, formerly in Israel. When a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go see the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. 
As they went up the hill to the city, they met a young woman coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel, and he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel Saul saw, saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who will rest, shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel at the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of all the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of the table of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, which I told you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what is what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed, that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul upon the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. But when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And and they shall say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek for are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? 
Then you shall go on from there farther and shall come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come up to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings, to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Would you please stand now for the last seven verses of God's holy word. This is God-inspired text. God breathed. Verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Please, tell me what Samuel has told to you, said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege to read your word. What a privilege to study your word. What a privilege to hold the word of God in our hands. Something that billions of people yet cannot do today. Even in the time of Samuel, your word was not written for every single person, and yet we have it here amongst us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would enliven it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a long passage, but the story is very much succinct when you consider all that went on in Saul's life. And when you consider that Samuel wanted to include these details, all of them, to make really one or two important points. There are no coincidences in life. God's providence is supreme. Nothing happens apart from God's plan. Even the most mundane, regular occurrences in your life are part of God's plan. Each one of you could probably think back to how 
you moved to Greenville or how you came to Meadow Creek or how you met your wife or your husband or how your ancestors ended up coming to this area. There's so many different little things that add up to what we have right now. And we tend to think that it's all just kind of a random series of occurrences. But when you actually stop and begin thinking back about how things happened, how things came together, it doesn't take long before you realize that God was the one at work. Most recently, we can talk about it often, it's still so fresh, our own move to Tennessee was filled with God's powerful providence. We made many mistakes, we made lots of bad decisions, and yet even in the midst of those decisions, even in the midst of just regular life, the timing, the timing all worked out perfectly. So that when I called that number on that fateful day in February, Bill Holt picked up the phone and said, yeah, you can put your name in the hat. Think of all the things that happened for those two events to collide. Me picking up the phone in February, that was very, very early. I should have still been in the Air Force, actually. And Meadow Creek needing a church or needing a pastor. And yet all the events that led up to that phone call were random, were seemingly insignificant, were destructive, were the result of bad decisions, were the result of people just trying to do a good thing on a particular day. And yet it worked out for God's glory. Some might be asking, why didn't it work out differently? But that's for another day. But praise God. I mean, you can see when you come to anything in your life that you feel is critical or important, you can see that if you look at God and all of his workings, and you begin unraveling each one of those things, God's hand is right in the middle of all of it. And of course, it must be. God's providence is God's control over all things, all details, all the backstories and side stories that make things come about. There's no such thing as a random turn of events. This is all God using normal, regular things. To accomplish his purpose. It's the unseen hand of God. That's the title. The unseen hand of God. Saul felt the unseen hand of God. And then he actually came face to face with the prophet. Who told him what he would do. So first I want to talk for a moment about God's providence. As we see in the text. And then I want to talk about our hope. You have to admit. When we think of God's providence. And we look at this entire chapter of seemingly random occurrences, insignificant, mundane, ordinary details of life. 
that in and of themselves they might seem like nothing. And yet God used those things. The donkeys wandered away. Why? They do. Was that random? That was God. Think about that. Even something as insignificant, normal farm life as a donkey or an animal wandering away, getting out of the pen. God used that. If the donkeys hadn't wandered away, Saul would have never wandered away. And all the other details that we hear as well. Saul's donkeys went missing. Saul did what farmers do. He went to find his animals. He took his servant. Why is that detail mentioned? Well, his servant had the money to pay the seer, so they actually felt courage to go to the prophet. Saul slept on the roof. So what? What's the point? Well, Samuel came up to talk to him. They walked on the road. The servant went ahead. Okay. And so on and so on and so on. God's work of providence is His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. That's everything. And what a comfort that is to us. And He doesn't leave us guessing that His hand is right in the middle of it. In verse 16, Samuel tells Saul exactly what's happening and who's doing it. He says, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. He says to Samuel, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. He's not just wandering around looking for donkeys. God sent him. And everyone was just doing what everyone does. Everyone was just living life. But God was in complete control. Proverbs 16 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 20.24 says, A man's steps are from the Lord. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, God will make your paths straight. We just need to trust Him. You remember at the end of the book of Genesis when Joseph is confronting his brothers who are afraid that now that their father's dead, Joseph is going to kill them. And Joseph comforts them instead and says, As for you, you meant evil against me. But what? But God meant it for good. Even the evil actions of his brothers, God meant for good. That many people, a numerous people, would be kept alive as they are today. So thinking of the Israelites and their desire for a king, this desire to throw off the rule of God and to have a king like all the other nations, God used even that sinful desire for his own purposes. And for his own glory. And he does for each one of you. So we're under grace. Does that mean we should sin all the more so God's providence is 
overwhelming everything in life. Does that mean we should just live however we want? Of course not. We live for God and God alone. And yet, even when we sin, even we who love Jesus with all of our hearts, when we sin, even that is used for his glory. So encompassing is the control and power and providence of our almighty God. When you wake up in the morning, you don't know what the day holds. Many people woke up this morning and are now dead. All over the world. Probably even in Greenville. You have no idea what the day exactly is going to hold. In your search for work, in your search for donkeys, your trips to the store, taking care of your daily business, helping your family like Saul was doing, just doing life. Circumstances can always take a turn, right? For good or for bad. You don't know what's coming. But the comfort we have is that whatever that day brings, it's not just random, it's God. All things are in the hands of our almighty God. Period. All things come from His gracious and loving hands. It doesn't mean everything is comfortable. It doesn't mean that wickedness will not pounce upon you at different times in your life. And yet even the wicked actions of men that hurt you, God will use. I've shared this once with you before. It still strikes me. It's a powerful illustration of this. This is Dr. Duncan was teaching a worship class. And when he was pastoring First Pres in Jackson, Mississippi, there was a family that was driving back from the beach. They just drove down to the coast for the weekend. They were celebrating something in their daughter's lives. They had three girls, I believe. They were driving back. And on the interstate, a drunk driver jumped over the median and crashed right into them. The ambulance showed up. There were some folks that were taken by helicopter to the hospital. And when Dr. Duncan showed up, when Pastor showed up to the hospital, he was told that the father was dead, two of the children were dead, the mom and one of the daughters were still alive in the hospital, and they would survive. So when he went to them, and the doctors had not told mom, that her husband and I believe one of her daughters, one or two of her daughters had died. She didn't know. They wanted the pastor to tell her. So Pastor Duncan walked in and told her, I'm really, really sorry. We're heartbroken. Your husband is gone to be with the Lord. Two of your children are gone to be with the Lord. Your daughter is alive and she will recover. Can I pray with you? And she said, yes, please pray with me. But first, let's sing the doxology. So the two of them sang the doxology together. So what produces that kind of faith? That, they would, that she would trust the providence of God so completely that in that devastating loss, that she would want to praise God from whom all blessings flow. What is that? She knew her scriptures. She knew who her God was. She knew that all things work together for good. In the end, for those who love God, and in the midst of the suffering and the pain of life, she was going to trust God and not lean on her own understanding and praise Him.
She knew about God's providence, and she had hope. That brings us to our second point. God's providence and his promises are a sure hope for his people. When you look at chapter 10, the first 16 verses, you see nothing but promises and promises and predictions, word of God that will be accomplished in Saul's life over and over again. I see three promises and then I see three words, three prophecies that all come to pass, it says, on that day. First promise. He took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him. And said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? This is a promise for Saul. The oil was only on his head. Not on his servants, not on his brothers, not on his father. Samuel poured the oil upon his head, anointing him as king. Interestingly, to me anyway, he doesn't use the word for king, melech, in Hebrew. He uses the word for prince. I think Samuel's still smarting that the Israelites wanted a king, and he's still holding God up as king. He says, you will be prince over his people, Israel. Promise number one. Number two, you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Promise number three, I will give you signs that this will happen. And then he goes through three words or four signs, if you will. Men will meet you by Rachel's tomb. And he goes in great detail about these signs, all these things that are going to happen. Indeed, the randomness of the signs is what makes them powerful. You'll meet a group of prophets prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. You'll meet three men going up to Bethel carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. What? It's so random that it has to be God if that comes to pass. And indeed, we're told at the end, all of it came to pass on that day. Samuel did what prophets, what pastors, what preachers should do. That's proclaim the word of God. This was a very specific word for Saul, I understand. But he proclaimed the word of God to Saul. And these were meant to show God's sovereign will to Saul and to give him confidence in the future. And that's what the word of God and promises of God do for us as God's people today. The promises of God. You hear Jerry praying about the promises of God. You hear me talking often about the promises of God. Have you ever thought, what are they talking about exactly? What are the promises of God? Well, first and foremost, we have the great promise that if we have faith in Christ, that we will not perish. Praise God. The promises of God drive us to great courage in life. God's promises are kind of the stud wall that the house of your faith is built around. I want to just highlight three aspects of God's promises through Scripture. And this was actually a wonderful study just to go through and look at the promises of God throughout the Bible. 
First promises I want to mention to you are the promises we have of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this started not in Matthew. It didn't even start in the prophets. This started all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That the seed of the serpent would have his head crushed by the seed of the woman. That's the first promise. That because Jesus died and then rose again, that we also would rise. In Acts chapter 13, verse 32, Paul's preaching and he says, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. The promises made to the fathers are now for the church, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. First, or Second Peter chapter 1 Verse 4, we say, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That we might be saved. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Another promise for you as God's child. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Of course, this is specifically and immediately for the people of Israel. But we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, was the land of milk and honey in Israel? No, they were looking forward to a better land. Even though they lived in, In the promised land on earth, that wasn't the fulfillment of this promise. This promise is fulfilled in heaven. Deuteronomy 26, verse 19, And he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people to the holy, a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised The church is the fulfillment of that promise that we are a people holy to God. Secondly, you also see promises of comfort in this life. Psalm 119 is full of promises of comfort in this life based on the love of Christ. Let your steadfast love come to me. That's hesed. That's the Hebrew word for covenant love. Let your steadfast love come to me. O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Psalm 119.50 This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Verse 58. Verse 123 For the fulfillment of your righteous promise, my eyes long for your salvation. That's hope for now. That's hope in life, in the difficulties of life. We have comfort in the promises of God. Brother and sister, when your life begins to be difficult, go to the Word of God. Hold on tightly to the promises of God, both for this life and the life to come. Don't let your thoughts be consumed with this earth and the things and the problems of this earth. Set your heart on Christ.
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. Promises even are part of our sanctification. We hold on to the promises as we fight heartily with the sin that dwells within us. Last one in this section, Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For me, that's one of the most inspiring of all the promises, remembering who God is. The one who promises is faithful. Finally, we have promises that God will make all things right. In the final redemption, all things will be made right. Jeremiah is full of these promises. Jeremiah 33, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, will be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. And Peter says, we as the church are a kingdom of priests. It's fulfilled in the church, and one day it will be ultimately fulfilled when Christ returns. Hebrews 11, which we read, I'll close with this one. All these died not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. We're still strangers and exiles, brother, sister. We're still strangers and exiles on earth. We're ambassadors for the king. So believe the promises. We learn that Saul seemingly didn't believe the promises at the end about the matter of the kingdom, of which he had all the promises, he didn't say a word to his uncle. You see, the promises of God should actually affect your life. They affect how you think, how you act, because you know that God is faithful. His covenant promises to his people will be accomplished. Saul Saul saw the providence of God that led him to the prophet, He saw the word of God directing him to God, and yet he was still unsure. So I would exhort all of you today, think about the promises of God, talk about the promises of God, and hold fast to the promises of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your precious promises. Your word is filled with so many good words of promise for your people. You are a covenant-keeping God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You will not be angry forever, but you will remember the mercy that you show upon your church because of your Son, who took all the wrath of God for us. We pray this night that we would not be like Saul, 
and ignore the great promises, ignore the word of God, but that our lives would be changed. Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears to understand and apply this word to our lives. That you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.